Welcome to That's the Word, wholesome tales for the whole family. I'm Father James Yamauchi. Today's story, Some Unwelcome Correspondence. The diplomat poured himself a drink, sat back in his chair, and sighed. It had been a heavy day of negotiations, and he was glad to be back in his quarters for a brief respite. Few men found themselves in his position, charting a new road for his country in a foreign land. At least, he thought, the beverage selection was stellar. He put his glass down and thumbed through the day's mail. Some local correspondence, some letters from home, and an official-looking envelope. That letter went back on the table. The last thing the diplomat wanted to do was more work. He was looking forward to a peaceful evening and wanted to ease his mind. He set the letters down and took another sip of his drink. He had been involved with negotiations for over a year. Though his body was feeling its age with the passing years, his mind was as sharp as ever. He glanced back at the letter. Curiosity got the best of him, and he opened it. It was indeed work-related, written by a colleague from an unexpected and unwelcome country. The diplomat read the contents of the letter, then tossed it away, fuming. I knew I shouldn't have read that letter, he muttered to himself. I want to enjoy my evening. The letter was from an organization the diplomat held in contempt. The Vatican. He downed the last of his drink and tried to put the letter out of his mind. That didn't work. He picked up the letter again and reread it. It was quite cordial and deferential to his young country. The author of the letter, the local representative from the Vatican, noted that Catholics in the diplomat's homeland needed a bishop to govern them in what concerns religion. The diplomat did not have one ounce of desire to support the welfare of the Catholic Church in any country. However, he knew that the Vatican representative was a figure not to be taken lightly in diplomatic circles. The Vatican proposed that the diplomat's country choose one of its cities to be the seat for a bishop or apostolic vicar. The diplomat shuddered at the thought of his government getting involved in church matters. Governments interfering in religion was bad in other countries. He certainly did not want his country to start down that road. Sighing, the diplomat decided to give a response before he retired for the night. He had to communicate that the church's governance was none of the new country's business. Perhaps a temporary solution might be to place the country's church under the jurisdiction of a bishop from an allied country. 
The diplomat paused. A memory passed through his mind. A priest from his country who came from a well-connected political family, which is how the diplomat knew the priest. He might just provide the long-term solution to the Vatican's interest, the diplomat thought. When he wrote his response, he included this priest's name. The priest had once accompanied the diplomat as part of a delegation to another foreign country. The mission was not successful from the very beginning, and, sensing the hostility and the futility of the effort, the diplomat, who was not in good health, and had even confided that he thought he may die on this trip, returned to his homeland before the rest of the delegation. The priest decided to return as well, ensuring the sickly diplomat made it home. The diplomat knew that the priest's compassionate care on the journey home was a significant reason that he was alive. The Vatican would go on to name this priest as the superior of the missions for the young country. When it was time to select that nation's first bishop, the Vatican, out of deference to the form of government adopted by the young nation, known as the United States of America, permitted the country's clergy to nominate the man. All but one chose the superior of the missions whose cousin had signed the Declaration of Independence, and whose brother would soon sign the U.S. Constitution. This priest, Father John Carroll, was named the first American bishop four months prior to the death of the diplomat who had first floated his name to the Vatican while engaging in diplomatic negotiations for peace in Paris. The Founding Father, named Dr. Benjamin Franklin. And for this week, that's the word. We always love to talk about American history, and of course, Ben Franklin was the one who negotiated the Treaty of Paris. One of them. There has been about, I guess, 30 or 45 or something like that, that are called the Treaty of Paris. This one that he negotiated was the 1783 Treaty of Paris to end the Revolutionary War, not to be confused with other Treaty of Paris's, including the 1784 one, which ended the Fourth Anglo-Dutch War, which I have never heard of. Oh, wow. So there has been a lot of treaties done in Paris. It's a beautiful city to do uh, a treaty. Versailles is. <laughs> Versailles definitely would have been a pretty place to, to do a treaty. But as we uh, noted in the story, Ben Franklin had an interesting connection to Father John Carroll, who was a Jesuit um, from a prominent American family, who at the time of the revolution was in Maryland. And he got to know him because the uh, colony sent a delegation right before the revolution started to try to go to Catholic Canada to form an alliance for their assistance in fighting the British during what would become the American Revolution. John Carroll got roped into this because his cousin, Charles Carroll, was one of the founders. 
And so he, Ben Franklin, uh, Charles Carroll, John Carroll, and Samuel Chase, another founding father, were the ones who went up to Canada to try to negotiate this deal. And the reason why is they thought bringing Father John Carroll would help their cause since they were going to talk to Catholics. Yeah, grab the one founding father who's Catholic. That's right. And his cousin, who happens to be a priest. So talking about uh, Charles Carroll, though, yeah, he's a fascinating person in American history, which not is not mentioned too often. So Charles Carroll of Carrollton uh, is one of the signers of the Declaration of Independence. He's the only signer to be Catholic. And you can see he signed his name, Charles Carroll of Carrollton, to distinguish him from other Charles Carrolls to make sure that uh, he was not going to be hiding under ambiguity. Everyone would know who the guy was who was sticking his neck out at this point. The, they would know who to execute if the revolution went bad. And that's a very good point. Sometimes it's easy for us to forget that the fact that these men signing their names, uh, that wasn't a popular thing to do in that day and age in well, relation to the British government. It wasn't a safe thing to do because realize this thing goes sour. You're dead or you're uh, you lose your wealth. They had a lot to lose, these guys. And actually, Charles Carroll, I've heard the story. I wasn't able to confirm it before we recorded. But I've heard the story that, that he signed it originally just Charles Carroll. But then a few other founding fathers commented that there are so many Charles Carrolls that no one would be able to figure out which one it was. So he added of Carrollton to make sure the target was painted firmly on his back. So definitely taking risk. The other interesting thing, you know, about talking about somebody who is a person of virtue is uh, Father John Carroll, because we alluded to the fact in the story that when the vote came from the clergy on who should be the first bishop, there was only one person who did not vote for Father John Carroll. And it, we don't know because I presume it's a secret ballot, but I have a funny feeling that the person who did not vote for Father John Carroll was Father John Carroll. 